Thanks for downloading This Is US Sustainability from the US Sustainability Alliance, which represents nearly 2.6 million farmers, foresters, and fishermen in the United States. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith, and on this episode, we're focusing on so-called co-products and upcycled food. Did you know that if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world, or that food produced on nearly one third of the world's farmland goes uneaten? And so in this episode, we'll be taking a closer look at how the US food supply chain is reducing, upcycling, reusing, and where possible, eliminating that waste. Joining me online from California, I'm thrilled to welcome Josette Lewis, Chief Scientific Officer at the Almond Board of California, and Madison Garola, a food scientist at Matson, which has been described as one of North America's foremost food research and development firms. Madison is also the co-chair of the Standards Committee for the Upcycled Food Association. And then finally, we have William Orts, Research Leader at the US Department of Agriculture. Thank you all for joining me online. Um, now, in a short while, we'll also hear from Molly Morse, CEO and co-founder of Mango Materials, who I spoke to earlier about the work that she is doing in this space. But before that, Josette, let's come to you first. Um, I thought we could start by you just explaining exactly what we mean by co-products and also why they're so important. So in the agriculture or food industry, co-products are the other components of the plant that are not used as the primary food or ingredient. So if you think about in corn, we eat the corn kernels and products made from corn kernels, but you have the whole rest of the plant, the cob, the stalk, the leaves. In the case of almonds, the almond kernel that we eat is only about a third of what comes out of an orchard every year. Surrounding the kernel is a shell and in California almond varieties, that shell is relatively uh, soft. You can actually crack an almond with your hands. Around the shell is the hull. The almond hull is actually equivalent to the part of a peach or an apricot that we enjoy eating. It's actually pretty high in sugars. It has some phytonutrients and uh, high in fiber. And then there's some woody co-products that come out of the orchard, some sticks that might be pruned limbs or natural dieback on the trees. And at the end of the life of an orchard, which is usually 20 to 25 years, those trees are no longer as productive and we have all of that woody biomass. So several years ago, the almond industry set four sustainability goals. And one of those is to be a zero waste food product. So that means taking those shells, hulls, and the woody biomass and putting them all to productive use and for the benefit of almond growers to actually try to get higher value uses for those co-products on top of the price of the kernel itself. Have you got any examples of where some of that is being used? Yeah, well, uh, a really great example that's already in uh, being rapidly adopted within the industry is actually what we call whole orchard recycling. So this is at the end of that life of an orchard. All the trees are pushed over by a bulldozer and heavy equipment is brought in to make, take the entire tree and make it into wood chips. And then those wood chips are spread on the orchard or the ground and then uh, incorporated into the soil. And the great thing is that that process, taking that huge amount of organic matter that the trees represent 25 years of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and sequestering it in the wood. And then we now take that and put it in the soil. 
And research has shown that after nine years, there's five tons of carbon per hectare sequestered into the soil, which is important for uh, mitigating climate change. And that process also uh, brings benefits back to the farmer. Uh, the next orchard that planted that is planted on that ground, those trees <clears throat> have a 20% increase in water use efficiency. All of that woody biomass is now like little sponges in the soil and help hold water in the soil as to improve the efficiency of our use of that precious resource. And the farmer gets a 19% increase in yield in that next orchard. So it's a great example funded by research on co-product utilization that has a benefit to the climate as well as a benefit to the grower. And I'm very excited today to also share two other really neat examples of using co-products. As I mentioned, the almond hull is sort of the equivalent part of a peach or an apricot that we eat. We don't eat the equivalent of the kernel in those. That's this, uh, if you were ever to crack open an apricot pit inside, you would see something that looks a lot like an almond, but it's very high in a compound that uh, is not good for you. So you shouldn't go around eating uh, apricot kernels. At any rate, uh, those hulls currently go into the dairy industry here in, in California as part of a feed ration for dairy cows. So they're already going to productive use, but we're looking for higher value uses on top of that. So we're working with Matson to look at making ground hulls as a potential food ingredient to improve the fiber content and other health characteristics of a variety of foods. So I'm excited to, for Madison to talk about those. And the shells, that part uh, that is surrounding the kernel and underneath the hull, those currently also go into the dairy industry. They are used as bedding for the cows. Again, I want to make sure people understand we're not bedding cows on hard shells and uh, making their lives miserable. Almond shells in California are quite soft. You can crack it open with your hands. So those shells provide quality bedding and help absorb some of the waste products from the dairy cows that come out the other end and uh, make sure that they don't leach into our groundwater supply. So again, looking for more diverse and higher value uses of those shells, we've worked with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Agriculture Research Service, and you'll get a chance to hear from Bill Ortz about how um, burning those shells under very controlled uh, conditions, process called torrefaction, can help strengthen recycled plastics and really have a win-win for reducing not only uh, the co-products coming out of almonds, but also contribute to better recycling of plastics in the United States. Well, Madison, just picking up on what Gisette was saying there, can you tell us a little bit about Matson and some of the work that you're doing there? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on and thanks Gisette for giving a preview to what we're talking about today. So I'm Madison Garola and I work at Matson and we're a food and beverage insights, strategy, innovation and development firm. We're really special because we bring a holistic approach leveraged by consumer insights to bring either optimize or bring new products to life across all categories of the food system. And my area of focus is in helping companies create a more sustainable food system. As mentioned, my really 
passion spot is with upcycled food. Upcycled food is food that was previously deemed foods waste from food safe supply chains and finding a higher value or purpose to keep those streams in our supply chains and keep those nutrients alive versus having them be diverted to waste. And with Matson, we have been able to work with several great companies and organizations, the Almond Board being one of them. Right now, we have been partnering together on really finding value-added purpose for the hulls and turning different byproducts and these upcycled ingredients into new food ingredients. The hulls, like Josette mentioned, are very similar to a peach, which we would eat. They're just a have a little more textured than what we're used to for a peach. But our job is to find ways to leverage the different components, such as the fibers, some of the inherent sugars, as well as some of the flavor profiles, which are actually quite, have a vanilla note to it and some fruity background characteristics and find applications of real food models to put these upcycled ingredients into. And so for halls, we're already really enjoying kind of a range of applications that we're looking at and finding products that people would really enjoy eating and also get a higher nutritional benefit from leveraging the fiber source that's inherent in the halls. Have you got any live projects you can share with us at all? We do have some previous projects that we've helped support clients with. So Evergrain is a company that has worked on creating spent brewer's grain into novel ingredients. And so they're actually a spinoff of AB InBev, the largest brewer in the world. And they had noticed all of the grain that was going to waste and wanted to really bring a higher value to that product and not waste as much. So we worked with them in order to find applications and test their ingredients in a range of products. So we were able with this spent grain to develop breads, cakes, pasta and pizza doughs, and these upcycled flowers and found different promising ways that we could leverage both the hedonics and functional and nutritional benefits from this previously wasted material. And that spun off into creating and really having Evergreen as a business have a good value proposition. And not only do they have these upcycled um, flowers, they also now have isolated more protein specific ingredients to leverage for other companies to use and incorporate in order to lower their carbon footprint. Wow. How long would one of these projects typically take, you know, from a kind of research to final development of the product? (laughs) Well, it can take a range of time depending on the ingredient processing and where it's at. Um, Sometimes our clients are very familiar and have already refined their ingredient to get to a great spot. Another one of our clients, for instance, Kazoo, they are a chip company and they're upcycling corn germ. So corn germ already goes through a lot of processing by the time that it's the waste material. They have captured that material, upcycled it, and turned it into a snack where every bag of chips that you eat actually saves 20 gallons of water. And they've done a full life cycle assessment to validate that through several companies. So with that instance, we had a client that was really ready to go and had their product in shape and ingredient 
ready to rock for market and others we get the really upfront exciting stage of it to we get to find the best value proposition and where this upcycled ingredient might live and what benefit it brings to the industry and also really understanding that we don't just want to put an ingredient into this space because it prevents waste we also want to really valorize it and show all the strengths that we were once wasting in the past that's great bill you've been sitting very patiently for 10 minutes let's uh let's bring you into the discussion you you've been at usda for quite some time i think over 25 years how has the emphasis changed for upcycled food and and co-products um you know in the time that you've been in your role so we've always been working to add as much value to an agricultural co-product as possible. But lately, we've been focusing on a project, I lead a project called the Zero Waste Initiative, maybe even borrowed the uh, jargon from the Almond Board. And that really is to add as much value to a carbon as possible. So anything that goes to a landfill is a real lost opportunity and really bad for the climate. So if you send anything to a landfill, it's probably going to turn into methane, which is 85 times worse than CO2 as a greenhouse gas, it's carbon dioxide. So we, we work to minimize waste and add as much value to co-products as possible. In the past, it was more just to create a biofuel to add value. Now it's really to save the climate um, as part of zero waste initiatives. We enjoy working with the Almond Board. One of the things that Josette didn't imply is that they've been the victim of their own success. The almond industry is going up by five to 10% a year and the dairy industry hasn't kept up for multiple reasons. So some of the end uses of both the shells and the hulls are in the dairy industry, but they haven't kept up in demand. So it, it would help the farmer and it helps the climate if we can add as much value to the shells and, and hulls as possible. Josette, you're, uh, you're nodding along there. Yeah, you know, there's a few drivers that um, spurred us to make some new investments to diversify the markets for these co-products. As Bill just mentioned, California's uh, unique Mediterranean climate, which is ideal for, for growing almonds, and that is why we see more almond acreage coming into the state. Well, not coming in from anywhere else. We are the only almond growing state in the uh, United States. So we have increase with increased acreage comes increased volumes of hulls, shells, and woody biomass. And uh, as Bill mentioned, there's declining demand within the dairy sector. So the price we get for hulls today as dairy feed is much lower than it was 10, 15 years ago. It's also interesting, the trees, I mentioned whole orchard recycling. That was sort of a necessity as the mother of invention. If you go back 15, 20 years ago, those trees were actually used for energy generation. In first generation, bioenergy was burning those trees and creating energy from the the heat that is generated from burning. And uh, as California has increased the stringency of both our air quality regulations and as the state has moved to green our grid, those first generation bioenergy plants closed down. So we had nowhere to put all that wood that came out of the orchards. And so really that was a a big driver for these investments that we've made in co-products. I think longer term, it is an exciting opportunity to add value back into the industry and also add value uh, to communities and the planet. 
We know that uh, some of those uses will reduce the carbon footprint of almond production more substantially than others. Dairy feed is great, but if we can use those uh, that woody biomass for second generation biofuels using pyrolysis to create really green energy of the highest quality that meets the stringent uh, renewable fuel standards here in California, that will dramatically offset the carbon footprint of growing almonds. So I think it is a win for the planet. It's a win for the grower and uh, hopefully we'll be successful working with good partners like uh, Bill and Madison and hopefully more commercial companies will see that opportunity. That's really the goal of the Almond Board is to to do some of the initial work to show proof of concept, what's technically feasible, and then to make the investment opportunity visible to companies and to de-risk engaging in whether it's the second generation biofuels, recycled plastics, or new food ingredients. Bill, do you have any other examples of, of how the shell or the hull is being used? And, and, and maybe some other companies you're working with as well. Okay, so, so you have two, two co-products, all right? You've got the shells and you've got the hulls. The hulls are as rich in sugar as apricots, but they have a slightly bitter taste. So we've been um, spending the last 10 years extracting sugars from the hulls. The first time we did it, we extracted sugars. We were asked by the industry, can we make ethanol for biofuel from those sugars? And the answer is you can. The second part of the question, should you? Economically, should you? And it you know, won't compete in this country against corn ethanol. It will probably, we don't necessarily want to reach the low prices of corn sugars. Um, the farmers would like to get a little bit more for the price of their hulls. So it didn't match up on price to make fuel grade ethanol, but what about making human grade beer from it? So we extracted the sugars, um, worked with a major brewer in the Bay Area and made some beer that is from the hulls itself. Slightly bitter. So if you like your, your beer bitter, you've got one. I'm an IPA fan, so it sounds great to me. <laughs> but hearing you talk, Bill, about uh, taking the torrified shells and adding it into the rubber bumpers that are part of the harvest equipment for almonds or into the pallets that we use to transport almonds for processing and ultimately for sale really makes me think uh, we're on a path to being a complete circular economy, even within the, the almond industry itself. And maybe some of the applications that Madison is working on in terms of upcycling hulls into foods could end up in products that already have almonds within them. So total circular economy within almonds itself, as well as maybe some uh, spin-off into other industries. Madison, did you want to come back on that? So? Oh, I just love Bill's comment on the beer. We, not from a sugar extraction point, but I too am a huge beer fan and run a beer club at my company and one of my highlights from the bitter and also some slight astringency from the halls was we actually wanted to look at a hop replacement since hops are at high risk for climate change there's an ever-growing need and there's a lot of issues in the industry just in contracting and limited supply with climate change having an issue and like the increased heat having lower yields if you can get some hulls instead of hops just think of that bitterness and the opportunity there with the growing demand something that really personally excited me so i want an almond hull beer and i'll add it goes really great with some roasted salted almonds as a snack <laughs> exactly <laughs> our circular economy for a tailgate 
And Bill, from beer to jet fuel, is that right? That's the next hope. So we're working um, with a company, well, the almond industry is as well, uh, Lanza Jet, Lanza Tech, to take the almond products and, and through a proprietary, through their um, method, turn it into jet fuel. We, we work with them a little bit to help uh, characterize the products and make sure they're ready to be converted into jet fuel. Fascinating. Has, has, that, has a jet actually flown on that yet? Have, you, have they done tests on that? Yeah, check out LensaTech. Jets have flown on their product. Two or three other products that we were real excited about. So one is you think about water filters, um, those cartridges to clean up water at home. And most of the water filters industrially are from coconut fiber. And those fibers come from pretty far away. And what we've discovered recently is if you use almond shells and you do that same thermochemical conversion I talked about earlier, and then you might open up its pores by steam treatment called its activation. You can make a water filter from almond shells that matches the water filter from coconut fibers. Instead of getting the uh, water filters from coconut fibers from the tropics, you can get them locally um, and clean up your water. The other one we're pretty excited about is extracting sugars and feeding them to bees. So that helps close the loop. Bees are a big part of pollination, a big part of farming, especially out in California. You need to keep your bees healthy for the winter. And the typical practice is to feed them high fructose corn syrup, which is not a natural sugar for bees. So we're looking for other sugars, including the sugars from almond holes, that would be a better bee diet and had some success there. And then what do you do with the hulls once you've extracted the sugars? And you have almost this like um, moist material that started to look to us like peat moss. And there's, there's an, a peat moss use that's pretty exciting. When you grow mushrooms, the cover on a mushroom to help them sporulate is a peat moss that we import. The main sources of peat moss used for mushrooms are Ireland, Canada, and Russia. And so by the time you've grown a mushroom, that peat moss could have a lot of carbon miles come from far away. So we're looking for local sources of that peat moss. And we have found that the almond hulls, especially after the sugars extracted, are great ground covers for mushroom growers. Incredible stuff. Listen, it's probably a good time to hear uh, my conversation with Molly Morse of Mango Materials, who I know, Bill, you're, uh, you're actually working closely with. I started by asking her to give a little background on the company and the area of business that she is looking to disrupt. So Mango Materials is a biomanufacturing company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. So we use methane gas. It can be any form of methane gas and transform that into a naturally occurring biodegradable polymer that's a replacement for conventional plastics. Can you talk us through a little bit more detail in terms of that process? Yes, so we are currently co-located with the wastewater treatment plant in Redwood City, California. So we are located adjacent, just um, about 10 meters away from the anaerobic digester there, where we take the biogas. Um, we take that biogas, combine it with oxygen and some trace nutrients for our bacteria, and the bacteria grow and produce this biopolymer inside their cell walls. And um, once that biopolymer is produced, we harvest it and transport it into pellets. Can you give some kind of like examples of plastics that, that that's now taking over from? For sure. So what one would normally do is take everyday 
persistent polluting, generally petroleum-based pellets and melt them down to make packaging for shampoo or beauty care products or melt it down to make film for bags or to melt it down to fiber extrude to make polyester for our clothing. So what we do is an alternative form of pellets that can be melted down in the exact same manner. It's just at the end of life, this is a different polymer. So if it accidentally ends up in the naturally occurring environment, it can biodegrade. Our most advanced product to date is injection molding and an injection molding grade. So you can currently buy um, a product made out of our material by um, from a company called Natura. They are a Brazilian personal care company that produces um, soaps and, and other things. They also own the body shop Avon and Aesop. So sometimes it, other communities know of them, but they're based out of Brazil. And this is an injection molded product to house a soap. So it's a soap dish. So that's our first product, but we're also focused on film and fiber and other polymer plastic replacements. Is this something pretty unique in terms of what you're doing? Yes, yes. So the biopolymer we produce, it's called PHA, polyhydroxyalkanoate. And we did not invent this. We're not the only ones making it, although we have a very unique way to make it. But um, there are a number of other companies on the planet that make it generally from a sugar feedstock, but this is very next generation technology. While this polymer was discovered decades ago, um, it has not been wild, widely commercialized to date. So this is very new, new technology that's coming up that's thinking about the circular economy and how to solve the problem of plastic pollution. So how did you even discover then that this whole process was, was even possible? Yeah, so some of the foundational inspirational research um, for our technology was done when I was a PhD student and my co-founder was a PhD student at Stanford University. So we were looking at um, biodegradable and circular materials at the time and the possibility of this technology to go from methane, feed that methane to bacteria that can produce this PHA was first developed there, but has now been commercialized by mango materials. And so what, what would you say is the significance that you know this innovation is providing? There's two main parts of this technology that are significant. One is our feedstock is methane, a potent greenhouse gas that doesn't have a lot of valuable uses. Yes, you can use waste biogas for electricity or, or heating, but to upgrade it to a polymer, to upgrade it to a material is incre an incredibly valuable use of the carbon. So that's one whole part. And then the second part is on the end of life of materials, of plastics, to make them be able to be circular. If they enter the natural, the environments, they don't persist, they don't pollute. Um, and while we never want the environment to be the disposal ground of any material or any sort of plastic type material, um, if our material accidentally ends up there, it doesn't persist indefinitely. So that's the two main significant problems we're working to solve. It's fascinating stuff, Molly. I mean, in terms of like, I guess, summarizing, what, what would you say is your kind of long-term aspirations for what you're trying to achieve within this industry? Our long-term aspirations are to disrupt the plastic industry, to change the plastic economy from what is inadvertently a 
planetary threat into an environmentally friendly closed loop cycle. So we need to scale up our technology and this is hard. We're growing bacteria, a potent greenhouse gas, and then we're producing a polymer that's not widely commercialized on or on the market to date. So being able to scale to ultimately reach the um, magnitude we need to be at to not only change the plastics industry, but to also ultimately drop the cost. That's the key goal. That's the key dream of mango materials. And that's what ties everyone in our company together. That's fantastic. If our listeners want to find out more information, where can they actually go? Um, so we have a website. It's mangomaterials.com. Mango like the fruit, M-A-N-G-O. Um, we also have social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And um, yeah, please follow along with our journey. Tremendous. So Molly Moore, sir, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Bill, what did you um, think on what Molly had to say there? Molly's work is really exciting in their company for multiple reasons. Methane is a really potent greenhouse gas. So anything that can use it and sequester methane is useful to the, to the reducing greenhouse gas effects. You know, it's 85 times worse than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. Um, what's more remarkable is how good the plastic is that the company's making. It is not a lower grade plastic. It would match polypropylene, polyethylene, you know, petroleum-based plastics in usefulness. So it's all about price point. What they're doing is, is not hard and they're competing against a petrochemical industry, which has a you know, hundred year head start. But the polymer, the plastics they make are really useful plastics and can meet the needs, many of the needs of our consumers. The other thing is every waste potentially will turn into methane if we let it. So almond holes, almond shells, if you put it to a landfill, if you leave it out on the field, it will produce methane. So anything you can do to convert that methane into something useful is beneficial to all of us. Josette, anything to add there? This is an exciting opportunity where, as Madison said, we can take something that was once considered a waste stream and now think about it as a ingredient or a feedstock in its own right that has a lot of high quality characteristics to it. And companies like Mango Material, which are Small startups innovating in this area are a big part of that, as are uh, larger companies. And I think this is an exciting opportunity to really um, make better use of all of um, the biological value that plants have given us beyond just feeding us. Listen, this, this has been a fascinating discussion. Before we uh, finish, I'd love to just get one last thought from each of you on why you think it's, it's important that we've been sharing these stories about the work that you're all doing and, and you know, everything about upcycled food and co-products, uh, but also what you hope our listeners are going to get from this episode. Bill, let's, let's start with you on this one. So the example you heard from Mango Materials, Molly Morse, there are a lot of examples like that. We can invent our way towards a more sustainable future. Right now, it's a matter of price points. Petroleum is a very inexpensive resource. But if we have the commitment, we can invent our way to greener, more sustainable products. We enjoy working with the industry towards a zero waste initiative um, and look forward to working with the Almond Board and others to reach that. That's great. Madison? Yeah, as I'm sure we all know, Project Drawdown has preventing food waste as the number one actionable solution 
to reduce climate change and have an impact on climate change. And so all of the efforts we've talked about today are really the tools to make the largest impact moving forward. We need to get consumers understanding, comfortable and trusting of the science behind what we're doing here to prevent food waste, as well as leverage things like what the Almond Board is doing to research creating a more circular economy across all industries and finding novel solutions and how we can mitigate our impact overall, like through Bill's work. Lovely. And um, Josette, we gave you the first word, so we'll give you the last word on this. Well, several years ago, the almond industry set out a vision to make life better by what we grow and how we grow. And this area of co-product utilization really sits at that intersection. What we grow is not only a delicious and nutritious almond, but a hull, a shell, and a tree. And uh, we are on a path to improving the sustainability of how we grow and using those products to add value, not just to the economy, but back to the planet by taking all of that carbon that is the trees have taken out of the atmosphere and put it to new uses that are more sustainable alternatives to things such as petrochemicals that, that we've talked about today. That's great. Josette Lewis, Madison Garola, William Orts, thank you all for taking the time to chat to me today. Thanks also to Molly Morse for her contribution too. If you want to find out more about the US Sustainability Alliance, please do visit the website, which is thesustainabilityalliance.us. You'll find plenty more information about all the topics we've discussed in this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do give us a positive rating and review. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith, thanks for listening. And- and goodbye.